Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how you doing? How was your 4th of July? Did you did you have a good barbecue? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, no, but my son played in a big tournament in Maryland, uh, the Ripken Experience, which is great because they've got like six different fields, and they're all modeled after uh, MLB iconic parks like you can play in Fenway you can play in Wrigley you can play in City Field and and they've got like the green monster in Fenway and like he had a blast doing that so um that was probably the highlight of our 4th of July week that's awesome there's something similar in California I don't remember which city it's in but it's called Field of Dreams I know it's yeah. it's nice and cliche but it's it's got a, a few of those as well and that was mm-hmm probably the most fun tournament I ever played in when I was younger. So that's, that's an awesome experience. It, you know, you, you go there and you, and you can tell it's not the real thing, but it just feels so different and so fun that that's a cool thing that he, he got to do. The bad news was he played one game in like the really big stadium, the Cal Ripken Camden Yards one, and they had a, like bigger dimensions and he hit a blast to deep left that would have been a home run in any of the other parks, but it got caught in that one. <laughs> so, like, ah. so it's just like it's just like real Camden Yards where there's no hope ever yeah, of hitting right. a ball out to left right. field. Uh, have you been following like the home run trackers on Twitter where it's or it's you know this this home run was hit at City Field and it's a home run in 29 of 30 parks, mm-hmm. but not Camden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, damn it. <laughs> Well, that's that's a lot of fun. I I went uh, back to my parents' place for the week, spent some time with my family. It was relaxing for the most part. Unfortunately, I brought the heat with me. You know, it's we're pretty consistently into the 110s, 115s here in Arizona, and it was pretty consistently 105, 110 back in California too. So I can't get away from it. I guess I I need to go vacation to. God, where is it even cold right now? What's the weather like out so, by you? So you, that's where you go to Maine, Josh. Just go all the way over the other side of the country. That's what Maine is for. On the beaches, it's like beautiful and and, and it's like 70-ish, you know, and you can have your lobsters on the beach. That's what they go there for. All right. Sounds like a plan. I'll, I'll book my, <laughs> my flight right after the trade deadline. I'm going to go disappear to Maine for a week and, and cool off. Um, well, we, we got a lot to talk about this time, you know, not a ton of hard news in the last two weeks but we are getting so much closer to the trade deadline that things are definitely starting to heat up we have a couple deals to talk about um but first john do you you want to talk a little bit about some of the upcoming site updates yeah so behind the scenes we've been working to um improve the way we crunch the numbers and we've got most of it down pretty solidly so that we can update much more frequently and much faster and so in the old days and up until recently, we were updating like once a month, maybe twice a month, but a lot of it was like, you know, a little bit of a hand manual work. This time we can just kind of push updates more frequently, like twice a week. So from here on, and you know, when you're hearing this, it's probably Monday, we probably already pushed the latest update and we're going to keep pushing twice a week from here, right up into the trade deadline. So everything is going to be up to date and the most accurate as possible. Which is a very welcome change. I I can't describe how how long and how tedious it was in the very early goings of the site when John and I were just breaking things up, hitters and pitchers, and manually updating every single player on a monthly basis. And it was, oh boy, that was that was yeah. something. We've we've come so good. far since then. Yeah. It's it's yeah. been great. Yeah. So behind the scenes, we've built kind of a race car that we can just you know drive fast. So it's going to be fun. 
Sweet. So look out for that. Look out for updated values as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Uh, but for now, we have a couple deals that did go through in the last couple weeks that we can break down here. Uh, first one, the Rangers acquired left-handed pitcher Aroldis Chapman. This was a bit surprising. They kind of jumped the gun on this. Um, we did hear a little bit more buzz about Chapman, I feel like, um, than maybe some of the other trade candidates. We were starting to hear about him earlier and earlier, so maybe that should have been an indicator that they were getting ready to move him. Uh, but Chapman goes from the Royals to the Rangers. Uh, we had his value at $7.2 million. Uh, it's worth noting, though, that he is on track to hit some of his performance bonuses for games finished and games played, and those will boost up his salary. And once those boost up his salary, that cuts into his surplus, so that bumps his value down a little bit. Uh, just hadn't quite been reflected in the values yet. And then headed to the Royals in exchange were left-handed pitcher Cole Reagans at $2.9 million and outfielder Roni Cabrera at 1.5. So a bit of a gap in the values, but this was accepted by the model. And again, once you once you factor in those performance bonuses into Chapman's salary, uh, it's it's pretty much right in line. So seems like a fair market price. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly good indicator for how the model is handling relievers in the early going, especially since Chapman was really the main rental that was almost guaranteed to get moved there and, and have some late inning value. And of course, it makes a ton of sense for the Rangers. They are, I think, better than a lot of people expected this year. They've been a really strong team, and, and they've been piecing it together, even having lost to Grom for the season. Uh, but that bullpen was obviously an area that needed some improvement, and so they, they go out and get one of the most obvious upgrades out there. So good for them. Yeah, I mean, there was also some chatter about, from the Royals' perspective, they were maybe starting to get a little concerned that Chapman was getting a little wild and walking too many guys and like, okay, <laughs> if this gets worse, his value is going to go down. So we might as well strike while the iron's hot. And there was a little, you know, I don't know if that was just, you know, Monday morning court backing from the media or whether there was truth to that from the Royals perspective, but um, there was that too. So that would explain the early moves, but <clears throat> yes, from the Rangers perspective, they got it going on. Right. Um, but you know, they used to have Jose Leclerc as their closer and he's not now and he's been hurt. So they needed a closer, like a bona fide closer. Now I don't know if Chapman is still the most trusted closer because of those wildness issues, you know, but he's obviously got the big game experience and, you know, he's a guy you can, you know, you can pretty much give the ball to in a late inning and, okay, he knows what he's doing. Hopefully you get the best version of him if you're Texas. You don't always get the best version of him, but he's been there enough times to where you think, he, okay, he can do this. So uh, there's that. Um, they are benefiting a little bit from a resurgence from Will Smith, who was sort of on the outs and couldn't get a deal. And, you know, so, but, you know, there's still some question marks in that bullpen. Jose Leclerc's not been the same. Uh, they've gotten Josh Spores has been uh, a little bit better than expected, but they, you get the sense that they could probably use another really reliable arm. So I suspect this is not the only deal they make for the bullpen. And one other concern I saw with, with Chapman that came out a little bit after the trade was about his inability to hold runners on with the new mm -hmm. pickoff rules. Right. So you wonder if that maybe caused a slightly less tangible uh, a downward tick in his, his value as well. Um, but yeah, actually looking at, at roster resource here for the Rangers, um, they have this nifty little, little tracker of how many pitches were thrown each day and what happened here. And it looks like Will Smith is still getting the save opportunities. And so they're just using a, a Chapman in a high leverage role, which, which makes some sense. And I'm sure they'll, they'll bounce it between them based on who's hot, who's not. But 
yeah, I, I agree. They, they could probably use a couple more pieces here in this bullpen. Um, I feel like you can say that about most contenders at this point. You know, the Yankees bullpen is really solid, but everyone else could really use some help back there. And we've talked a lot about what the starting pitching market is looking like. I wonder if things are a little shallow in the relief pitching market oh, as well. Because, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a similar problem where the bad teams are so bad that they really don't have anybody <laughs> like, you know, are there, are there relievers on the A's that people are lining up for? Yeah. I mean, Sam Mall is useful. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you believe in Trevor may, but that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, you know, the nationals have a couple guys who are interesting, but like, there's only, there's only so many guys to go around this, this deadline. I, I, there's going to be some team that loses the reliever musical chairs and ends up with, with a Trevor May as their only guy and, and has has issues down the stretch. Yeah, which is why you're seeing, I know we're going to talk about the Rockies relievers, but there's some interest there. Um, yeah, so any, and, you know, there's been interest in the Tigers relievers because they've been um, getting some really good performances from guys like Lang and Foley. And so, but those guys are under control for quite a number of years. So it would be surprising to see them move. But uh, yeah, when you look around the kind of the sellers and what they have, you know, you're looking at Kyle Finnegan at the Nats and Samuel and Scott Barlow's still there, the Royals. There was some talk about him moving along with Chapman in a potential package deal obviously that did not happen but you get the sense that part barlow is going to be moved and he's probably one of the top names available in the market um but yeah there's an imbalance right now supply and demand so you know i wouldn't be surprised to see some overpays but there's also not like that obvious you know remember a couple of years ago when you know the cubs and the white Sox made that deal for kimbrell and kimbrell was the obvious hot hand at the time and there was an overpay there but i don't see a kimbrell in this market Right. There's the big three that we've talked about before, Class A, Alexis Diaz, and Bednar. But I don't... We, we talked before on, on the previous episode about how it doesn't look too likely that any of those three get traded because they have so much team control and they're so affordable and they're so valuable and all of their teams are in the race still. So yeah, those would be the three that you'd look at. Those are the three that would actually be a real game changer for a team and they're pretty unlikely to go anywhere. And so after them, it's a pretty big drop off to the next tier of guys. Although I mentioned Paul Seawald a couple of years, a couple of episodes ago. And uh, if the Mariners are still, it's not looking good for the Mariners. And, you know, he's only got a year of control after this. Yeah. There's some interest in Paul Seawald. I could see it. You know, I, I, I don't know if he's in that tier even on, a, on a, just a talent perspective, obviously value-wise, he's a, a chunk lower than them because of his age and lower team control. I don't know if he's quite as good as Diaz or Bednar or uh, or Class A, although Class A's been having his issues lately. But I think he is the clear-cut one guy on the market here that you can really, you can go out and get Seawald and be like, cool, we solved our late-inning problem. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been consistently good. And, you know, he's, you know, he's maybe not got the aura of like big name closer, but he's been consistently good. Yeah, definitely. And and that goes a long way. Consistency is big in the bullpen. Um, last note on this trade, I think, is is kind of a hat tip to the Royals for picking up Chapman on the cheap and flipping him for a couple prospects here. He looked totally washed at the end of his Yankees, mm -hmm. uh, Yankees days and, and, you know, the whole getting left off the postseason roster because he skipped a workout. That whole thing wasn't a great look for him either, but 
that whole second half with the Yankees last year was just a downward spiral, his velo ticking down, all of that. He, he looked terrible. And suddenly they they took a chance on him, and, and everyone kind of questioned it, but suddenly he's thrown triple digits again and, and has become a solid late-inning arm. Maybe he's not the Chapman of old because he's 35 years old now, but he was good enough to be flipped for a couple of prospects here. So good good process and good results there for the Royals. Yeah, totally. And that's textbook, right? Sell a guy who, you know, buy low basically, sorry, on a guy like that who's had success in the past, but maybe he had some problems recently. So you get a, a cheap deal, you know, $3 million base salary. And for a guy who's had that kind of success in the past, hope that he turns it around. Sure enough, he did turn it around. And so you get some, yeah, that's, that's, that's what a rebuilding team should do. Basically, you're just like, okay, now you've got two prospects. And where you didn't have those two prospects before, that's because you signed a guy who turned around. So it was a good way to play it. Yeah, and, and you're not getting <laughs> you're not getting a Glaber Torres. Um, and I, <laughs> right. I saw some Royals fans not exactly thrilled with the return here, but it's, it's just more firepower. It's more dart throws, these two guys, when you're in a longer-term rebuild like the Royals have been, and there's... It hasn't quite gone according to plan, and they're still trying to figure out what's wheat and what's chaff on on their roster and in their farm. Getting a couple more dart throws for free, basically, just for being the team that took a chance on Chapman mm-hmm. and maybe helped fix him a little bit. That's that's what you got to keep doing. That's right. Okay, moving on to the next deal here. Uh, this one is very interesting, and there's a whole lot of different ways we can we can go off of this discussion here. A whole lot of things we can talk about here. Uh, so the Mariners traded Trevor Gott and Chris Flexen to the Mets. Uh, and in exchange, they got back Zach Muckenhern. And so the values on this guy, on this deal, Muckenhern at 0.1, Trevor Gott at 2.2, and Chris Flexen at negative 0.3. So accepted by the model. Three. Or, sorry, sorry, yes, negative 3 million. Um, yep. It's a bit of a gap here. It's 0.1 versus negative 0.8, but within our usual margin of error, so accepted by the model there. And what this was, was it was a straight salary dump by the Mets. They they had already DFA'd Chris Flexen and he had a stipulation in his contract since he, he signed this deal coming over from uh God, was he in Korea or Japan? I think sure. he was in Korea. Yeah, he was in the KBO, if I'm not mistaken. Um and yes, KBO and the stipulation in his contract was that he couldn't or he could reject an outright assignment. So typically a player gets DFA'd and then if they have fewer than five years of major league service, they can be assigned directly to AAA. Uh, but because of this stipulation, Flexen could refuse that assignment and become a free agent. And so the Mets would just be flat out on the hook for the remainder of his contract, which was about $4 million. Instead here, they find a trade partner in the Mets who is willing to take on that entire contract. Um, and, and kind of as, as a thank you <laughs> for taking on that contract, the Mets get Trevor Gott, just a solid middle relief arm for them, add some depth to the bullpen, and all they have to give up is Muck and Hearn, who they actually had DFA'd themselves, and he's just a optionable depth lefty reliever for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. And so really interesting here, it's it's we, we talked on the previous episode about the Eduardo Escobar trade that the Mets made, where they ate his entire salary and got a couple decent prospects back in return from the Angels for him, whereas if they hadn't eaten the salary, they wouldn't have gotten much of anything back. Uh, and this is just another case of Cohen and the Mets flexing their financial muscle here to get better players and, and not have to give up prospects on their end. So they eat the Flexen contract, they, and they also eat Gott's entire contract the remainder of the way, and so they get to pick up a pretty solid reliever basically for free. 
Um, and I think it's pretty indicative of where the Mets are right now, what their plan is and how they're going to approach their deals this deadline of the money is the big advantage they have on anyone else. And typically that's something you can see most in the off season with signing big free agent deals, but things like this and the Escobar deal, that's the way you flex your financial muscle at the deadline. And it seems like the Mets are going to just be taking full advantage of that and, and making, making any additions. If they, if they choose to be buyers, they're going to make their additions cheaper by taking on salary and, and giving up fewer prospects. Or if they opt for selling, they're going to eat some of those contracts and get better prospects in return. They're going to use that money as the asset that it is. Absolutely. So it makes you wonder if they do end up selling and they want to trade Scherzer, it gives you a little bit of an indication that they'd be willing to eat some of that contract to get something back. They're not going to attach a prospect to it because they're holding on to their prospects for the most part. So uh, absolutely. The other angle here that I thought was interesting is, uh, and I've said this before, and I just mentioned Seawald, but the Mariners have this knack lately of turning uh, chaff into wheat, to use your expression, because uh, Trevor Gott was a journeyman, and he'd been pretty unsuccessful before this year, and they turned him into something, so they cashed in on that. So good for them. And it's like, I don't know what's going on in Seattle, but they've got some mojo going on over there with turning, you know, failed relievers into good relievers. So, um, and they're taking advantage of it. So it's one example of, of, okay. And they, but the other interesting thing from Seattle's point of view is they uh, created some financial wiggle room by uh, getting rid of Flexen's contract and got salary. And <clears throat> I made a comment on our site at the time, like, okay, well, this is probably setting up for something else because maybe they have some financial constraints and now this creates a little headroom. And then I saw a report that said that's exactly what they were doing. And so I don't know what move they're going to make next, but there is a potential now that they have some financial flexibility to do so. Yeah, and these are obviously two fascinating teams to talk about both with where they are in the standings versus their expectations coming into the year and then of course the depoto on the on the mariners and how active he's been in the past and cohen and how much of a public figure he is for the mets um so let's let's kind of table the mets we're going to talk about them later uh, but let's use this as a chance to talk about the mariners more here and and what they're looking at so I want to back up a little bit to the offseason. I know Mariners fans were really frustrated with how this offseason went. They were hoping the team would be in the mix for a Trey Turner or even a Bogarts or some some sort of middle infield help. Um, they ended up getting Colton Wong, which has not gone <laughs> as as planned for them. He's been a bit of a disaster. He's still hitting 166. Wow, that's not oh, good. Oh, yeah. He's a DFA, um, I think, soon. Yes. Yeah. And... and I know batting averages and everything, but uh, that goes with a 253 OBP and a 217 slug. So I think it's safe to say that's not going well for yeah. them. Um, and and they're pretty committed to JP Crawford at shortstop. Cool, good for them. He's a good player, good defender. Uh, but I think they wanted to get a big upgrade on the infield or just a big bat somewhere in the lineup. And instead, the team didn't really spend much of anything this offseason. Um, you know, clearly they, they made some moves prior to the offseason they extended julio rodriguez and luis castillo and and they made the the big deal to acquire castillo in the first place but i think they were hoping for more after the big you know they, they broke the playoff drought and they were hoping to take a step forward and they haven't quite done that they just kind of ran it back with the same crowd of people that barely squeaked into the playoffs that really overperformed their peripherals to get to the playoffs and hoped it would work and it hasn't to this point well, so, 
No, go ahead. Go ahead. They did trade for Tay Oscar. Right. That was their move, and in addition to the Colton Wong move, but you know that was their thinking was okay. Here's a bat. <laughs> you know they, we need one more bat. You know, and they traded. You know, the main guy going the other way to Toronto was Eric Swanson, who's been very good for Toronto. And so, in our values at the time, said Toronto got the better deal. And the way it's played out, it seems like Toronto still has the better deal. Um, they've got Swanson for a couple of years, and Tay Oscar's a rental, so they may get a little bit back if they trade Tay Oscar. But that was the bat that they that they got, and it didn't work out. Right, and I think, I think the Mariners and their fans were just, or their fans at least, were hoping for a little more. You know, they, this was a team that struggled offensively had a pretty clear gap when you get to the second half of the lineup and just one guy plus Wong who on his best day is like an average maybe a little bit better hitter uh they they didn't see that as enough and that's exactly how it's played out um on the flip side of that really impressive stuff going on on the pitching side in Seattle uh they have you you mentioned their relief pipeline and what they've done with picking up nobodies and turning them into solid middle to late inning arms uh but on the in the starting rotation they just have a pipeline of young guys it's it's almost cleveland-esque at this point yeah but i guess i guess the difference is in cleveland these guys aren't typically the highest touted prospects and they come up and make them into somebody but in seattle they're they're clicking on all their prospects in a way that's really exciting where we already knew about logan gilbert and george kirby and how impressive they were um, and how solid they looked going forward. But then you add Brian Wu into the mix. You add Bryce Miller. There's a couple more guys coming up through the farm still that haven't quite made it, but uh, look like they could provide an impact as well. And they have a really strong starting five, even without Robbie Ray, since he's out for the season. Um, and so naturally, that's if they were to be buyers and get a bat, that's a place they could move from, talking kind of like we would talk about the Marlins a few years back when they had this embarrassment of riches in the rotation and they could move a young starter for a young controllable bat. I'm not sure there's a perfect team that lines up with them on a deal like that. This deadline, at least that might be something they need to take into the off season and, and kind of take their time with, especially since, you know, they're sitting at 500 here. They're not too likely to catch up to the Rangers. They're seven back there. And the Astros are still a very strong team that are very much in the mix in that division. And the Angels are right on their tail. So it's it's a long shot for them to get into the playoffs. Right now they have, let's see, 20% playoff odds. And they have some pretty clear holes here. So what's the move? Which which way do they go? They are one of the, the most bubbly bubble teams, I, I think, out there right now. Because there's so many talented pieces in place. And it's clearly a team that wants to win now but there's some gaps here and it's going to be hard to fill those. Yeah. As time goes on, time is not their friend now. They've only got two, three weeks to make a decision on whether they're buyers or sellers. You know, if they do sell, you know, there's not a lot of chips there. They'll pay Oscars, obviously, you know, a rental, but they're not going to get that much back for him. Colton Wong's a DFA, like I said. Um, maybe see Wald. They can get something back for him. You know, their farmers been strong-ish so it's not like they couldn't use the prospects you know i think they the most likely scenario is yeah they sell those guys and retool a little bit and give it a shot next year because they got castillo under contract you know they've still got uh, the young pitching staff so they're good there that's kind of the the home base is that really strong rotation that you mentioned and uh julio's there for long term they've got some good position prospects coming as well 
So I feel like they just sort of make a couple of sell moves and retool and they'll be back in it next year to give it another shot. So that's what I would recommend, but I'm not them and I'm not there. We're not quite there yet. Um, but it, it, it feels weird to me to see them as buyers because it's, there's a lot of competition for those wildcard spots and they're kind of on the outside looking in on those. Yeah. It's going to be a real uphill climb for them. And I mean, all it takes with any of these teams is a hot couple weeks and then they're right in the mix. But like you said, time's not on their side. They're running out of running out of time to have that hot stretch between now and the deadline. Um, I wonder if we see something kind of similar to the Red Sox last year where they're kind of buying and selling but leaning more toward the selling side. Uh, we saw the Red Sox move a couple players, but not, not everyone they had uh, the potentially available. So, you know, maybe, maybe the Mariners move a seawalled but hang on to Teoscar since his value is a little lower anyway and maybe he has more value to them down the stretch given their need for offense and so they move a guy like seawalled since their bullpen can take the hit and they maybe add a veteran second baseman who's been struggling and just hope he can bounce back and be better than Wong or some outfield depth or whatever the case is you know shuffle some pieces around and see if things break their way but ultimately you know not mortgaging any prospects or anything and, and they'll reevaluate in the off season. I wonder if that might be their approach. And it, it's DePoto. You know, he's not afraid to yeah. make some deals in both directions, move some pieces around. Um, yeah. One other name that might make sense for them to move from that bullpen is Justin Topa, just because they've, they've really rehabilitated him in a really interesting way. And there he is go. an older reliever as well. He's, he's 32. And so maybe you strike all the irons hot on him. You know, you'll, you'll ship him off somewhere before he gets into his mid late thirties and maybe things start to go down a little bit for him. So yeah, maybe that's another name. That's another name. Gabe Spire is another guy they've turned around from a nobody to a somebody who is, I mean, they got some depth there. They got Seawald, Munoz, Topa, Brash, Spire. That's five guys who've been pretty capable. And so, but you know, you get the sense that they could just turn another journeyman into something. So yes, they could afford to trade one of those guys. Um, it's probably not going to be Munoz because they got him under a ridiculously cheap long-term contract, and he's he's really good. Brash has got you know amazing stuff, so it's, and he's under control for years. So if they did move somebody other than Seawald, it would be Topa or Spire, I would imagine. Yeah, and kind of bringing this full circle here, you talked about how they they cleared the money with Flexen, and, and they might be making another move to reinvest that. I could see them picking up a rental bat or something, one of the cheaper ones maybe. Um, and like I said, on the kind of a bounce back idea, they take on the full contract so it doesn't cost them as much in terms of pros prospects and they just give that a shot. And so they're basically reallocating, you know, they gave up Gott and Flexen in exchange, they get a rental bat. I think they would have taken that every day of the week and instead they're just kind of breaking it up into two deals, you know? Yeah, right. Okay, uh, let's move on to this note here about the Rockies. Um, according to their general manager, is that Bill Schmidt? Why can't I find his name yeah, here in the Bill, story? Yeah. Yes, Bill Schmidt. There we go. Um, the relievers are drawing some trade interest. And, and the names that are listed here are Bruce Suter, Pierce Johnson, and Brad Hand, which are their you know more experienced relievers, veterans. Um, Hand is an upcoming free agent. I believe Suter might be as well. Um, I'll need I to check on that. So, yeah, but those are their three, you know, more experienced guys outside of Daniel Bard, who just seems like they're gonna hang on to him forever. 
<laughs> um, and you know, they're they're kind of the middling, you know, fringe veteran relievers that that you see tossed around at the deadline every year. Suter's been pretty solid. He's on the injured list right now, but I could I could see him. He he fits in every pitching staff. He's a lefty who can give you depth and. He's seems like he pretty consistently outperforms the peripherals. He doesn't throw very hard, but he just goes out there and he can be a lefty specialist for you. He can be a long man. He can, he's a versatile arm that any contender would like on their pitching staff. So once he's healthy, it makes a lot of sense that they would move him. Um, Johnson and hand are kind of more of just, they're an arm <laughs> to have out there. They haven't been amazing. Oh, that that's an understatement. Pierce Johnson has a 649 ERA. Mm-hmm. Um, Coors, obviously, and he has a ton of strikeouts, but, you know, they're more of those you, you cash considerations or trade him for a guy who just got DFA'd or whatever type guys. But with this, I want to talk about a couple controllable arms that the Rockies have who are really interesting and might come up in some trade talks. And that's Jake Bird and Justin Lawrence. And they've both just been really, really good, especially when adjusting for Coors. They've been really good this season. Uh, Bird is a he is a righty, right? Yes, he's a righty. He's 27. He's coming with tons of team control, and he's got a 3.42 ERA in Coors. Good for him. And Justin Lawrence is a guy we've heard about for a while. He throws kind of funky. He's a 28-year-old righty, and he's got a 2.86 ERA. And so both of these guys have peripherals to back them up for the most part. They're young cost controlled and they're exactly the kind of guy that the marlin or excuse me marlins that the rockies should be capitalizing on but also the type that they haven't capitalized on in recent years so we wonder if they will just kind of go the obvious route you know they move their veteran relievers they maybe move like a if anybody wants a chase anderson him for cash considerations type deal listen on cj crone maybe um, but otherwise have a pretty boring deadline. That would be very Rockies of them. But if they wanted to be smart and and kind of capitalize on some of the talent they have while their team is nowhere near contention here, I think it would make a lot of sense for them to move those two guys, Lawrence and, and Bird, and get some actual prospects back. Yeah, so the problem is it's the Rockies. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, yeah. and, and that typically is the Rockies' problem, right? <laughs> the Rockies' problem is they're the Rockies, yes. Uh, and you know, and even Rockies fans that we know on our site are brutally honest about this. Like, yeah, we know. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not breaking any news here. Um, I, you know, for some reason, I don't see them trading Lawrence and Bird just because they have so much control. And the Rockies always want to believe that they can contend. So. If they think they can contend next year or the year after, they'll want to keep those guys. I can see them trading Johnson, who's you know not going to go for much. Brad Hand's not going to go for much. You know, um, Suter's not going to go for much at all. So, so there's not really any return to speak of. And if you look at the rest of the roster, Profar is underperforming his contract, and even that contract wasn't that big. You know, um, so what else are you going to do? Grishik is kind of falling off, and he's got zero value. I mean, there's not much you're going to get. Maybe Crone a little bit, you know. So there's not like a big star here. You're going to get a cash in. You know, you can really sell. There's just not. Chris Bryant's deep underwater. Um, you know, 
<laughs> maybe if somebody really wants Ryan McMahon, you can get something for Ryan McMahon. He's, we got him around 10 or 11 in, in our model, so okay, fine. I just don't see a big demand for Ryan McMahon. Uh, Kyle Freeland, they love in Colorado, but he's actually underperforming his contract as well. Now, maybe you could argue that maybe it's the altitude. Maybe he'd be better at sea level somewhere. So, yeah, maybe, but you should say there's no surplus there. So there's just not, you know, if you look around the roster, there's just not anybody that has any surplus other than these two guys, Lawrence and Bird. Um, so, but I just don't see the Rockies trading them because it's not their MO. Right, exactly. That's why they still have Freeland and Marquez and all these other guys on the roster because yeah. they just, they, they don't do that. They're not active at the deadline. That's not their thing. Um, other name, I guess, on the Rockies, Again, he's not going to be bringing you back a blockbuster return. In fact, I think we have him a little bit underwater. But Elias Diaz is at least yeah. interesting. He's been a slightly below average hitter by WRC+, and also a slightly below average defender. But the catching market is just barren right now, and there's a handful of teams that really just need a guy. Um, you know, the, the Padres come to mind. We might talk about them later. Wow. Um, but no real other options on the catching market. You know, I, maybe you're asking the A's about Manny Pena. I don't think you're getting too excited about that. Um, but Diaz is at least, you know, he's a veteran. He's graded well behind the plate in the past. Not quite as good this year, but you know, half a season of defensive metrics. There's some variability there. Um, he can at least hold his own as a hitter. He's never going to win you a batting title or anything, but he's at least okay. And so I could, I could see teams having interest here. Like I said, I believe we have him underwater yeah. uh, in the model, and it's because he's owed, I believe it's five or six million each of the next two years. Yeah, um, yeah five and a half million this season, six million next year, and so you're going to be paying him a little bit more than a backup price for a guy that's reasonably a backup catcher on a contender. Um, so that puts him a little bit underwater, but he's at least potential to be moved because of the what the rest of the catching market is looking like oh my god he's basically he's he's the best of a bad lot i guess or one of them i mean there's just nothing you know teams are also somewhat reluctant to trade for catchers at the deadline just because they have to learn the new pitching staff and you know the change of scenery sometimes doesn't go well at that point like it's better to do that in the off seasons where they can sit down in spring training, get to know the pitchers and all their tendencies, build the relationship. It's hard to do that on the fly the 1st of August, you know, so um, there's that. But, you know, if he's just a backup in San Diego or wherever, then maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if, <laughs> if you're the, if you're the Padres or the angels and you've been cycling through catchers all season because you've had to, then I mean, effectively there's not a ton of a difference right as yeah. opposed to you know picking up right. gary sanchez halfway through the year yeah or elias diaz and, and really the only other name out there is jan gomes yeah i guess you could squint and see if the padres or excuse me not the padres the the braves if, if you can pry travis darno from them but i think they really like how he rounds out their team mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah and you're right there's just nothing out there yeah i mean it's a good point on, on gomes because he's you know, he's a veteran. He's been traded at the deadline before. The A's picked him up at the deadline a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's just a pro. He'll just sue right in and do his job. So that's fine, I guess. You know, <laughs> actually, I'd rather have him if I'm in the catching market because he's a rental. So there's no further commitment. He's professional, at least. And he's not going to hit much, but he does his job. Elias Diaz is going to cost me more and has that other year of control under contract. So I don't know if I want that if I'm a buyer. 
So I'd see Gomes going before Diaz, but and not not to mention the fact that the Rockies seem to like Diaz because he handles their pitching staff. You know, he knows those guys, and those are their guys, and so he's one of their guys, and so that's there's that again. So I don't see him moving before I would see say Gomes moving. Right, I, I think we're on the same page there. Okay, um, last. Uh, now we're into just kind of the injury news, and I'll, I'll guess I'll start with the good injury news, and that's Tariq Skubal made it back from, was it Tommy John or Flexer? Uh, I, uh... <laughs> he, he made it back from a big injury that cost him a lot of time there. Um, and he looked fantastic. So, so at the time of the injury, he was a pretty trendy trade candidate because he's been pitching well. He was kind of breaking out in 2022 when he did go down with the injury, and he's stuck on the Tigers, who are kind of baseball purgatory right now and really don't have much of a direction, and so they're kind of towing the line between do we rebuild again? Are we going to try and push some pieces in and make this work? And so he seems like a he's a guy, if they, if they trend more in that rebuild again or retool or whatever you want to call it, uh, that they could move. And so he came back the other day, and it was against the A's, and it was just a four-inning start, so we need those caveats, but he looked excellent. His fastball velo was up. He was averaging 96.7. He was previously a guy who had sat like 94, 94 and a half, and so tiny, tiny sample size here. He went four innings, uh, but he was striking guys out left and right, and his stuff just looked really, really good. And so I just wanted to mention him as, you know, we, we've discussed the pitching market before, and how much demand there is for pitching and how the supply of like quality starting pitchers isn't going to meet the demand this deadline. Um, if he becomes available and you know, it's going to, you can't expect him to make 10 starts down the stretch, seven innings each or anything like that. You know, you're going to have to kind of play it careful with him. But when you compare a guy like Scooble to a guy like Paxton, even if you're just talking for the 2023 season, you know, you're not even considering the extra team control that Scooble has. I think I might take Scooble. I think I might trust him more down the stretch than Paxton and, and his own injury concerns. And so Scooble just becomes another really interesting piece to the market if he is available. Yeah. And he's going to cost a lot more than Paxton, obviously, because he's got the extra years of control. He's got, you know, after this season, he's got another three years of arbitration. Um, so he's still going to be, in other words, he's still going to be priced under market, which is another way of saying he's going to have surplus value, which means you got to pay for him in some way or another. Now, from the Tigers' perspective, I'm not sure I'm sold. Like, I know Scott Harris is kind of the new guy running the team, and he's open-minded, so I'm sure he'll listen. But, like, that's the one pitcher he's got. Remember those three that kind of came up together? Um, Mize and Manning and Scooble. Mize and Manning is... They've all been injured, but at least Scooble has been productive and here and there. So, but my who knows, Manning is still has issues, and so like you need you know like who's your pitching staff going forward? There's really not much in the farm, so I kind of feel like the Tigers might want to hold on to Scooble and might even want to think about extending him because they need a guy, and he's the most obvious one. So I I think if they listen, you're gonna have to overpay I think to get him out of there. Yeah, and I could see the appeal. So, you know, you just get Scooble back. Manning, he's been injured left and right, it feels like. But he is back healthy now, and he just helped out in a combined no-hitter the other day. <laughs> um, so maybe you see if you can get him going, because he has shown flashes of being good when he's healthy. 
And like you said, you have Mize coming back. So maybe you wait, hang on to Scooble for now. Obviously, there's plenty of risk involved in that. But the alternative is to really just blow up the whole thing. And so maybe you hang on to Scooble, see what it looks like when you get Mize back, when you get Spencer Turnbull back, who's also injured. And, you know, those four could be a really strong rotation they could lead the way you know there's a lot that would have to go right a lot of guys would have to stay healthy and perform but those four have as much talent as as most other top fours in a rotation in the league do so i, I think there is an argument for hanging on to hanging on to scoobal and manning waiting for mize to come back waiting for turnbull to come back and seeing what happens yeah i mean Unfortunately, they had some bad luck with Matthew Boyd being out for the year. He was a trade chip. They do have a trade chip in Lorenzen, although not a lot of surplus value there, so not going to get that much back. He's just a rental anyway. So it's not like, you know, they're going to restock with one of their trade chips because they're not, unless they sell on Lang or Foley, which they probably won't do, I'm guessing. Um, and they're not getting much back for Jose Cisneros, who's kind of a eh, middle, middle reliever. So, you know, there's not much that they have in terms of trade chips. So if, like I said, if they get an overwhelming offer in Scooble, they might be tempted. Um, I don't know if I'm them, I would do it though, because you really need stability and you really need like, get those guys, see what you got, get them healthy so that they can actually anchor a rotation going forward. I don't know, give them one more shot basically before you give up on them. Right. While we're talking Tigers, I do want to point out that they've had some success stories in the lineup this season. Jake Rogers, who's typically yeah. been more of a, a light-hitting defense first catcher, he's hitting for some power, and so that really makes his profile a lot more interesting. Matt Veerling and Zach McKinstry, who came over in trades in the offseason, they've both been hitting pretty well. You know, they're guys who kind of profile as more of bench players or platoon bats especially veerling being on the short side of the platoon but they've both been holding their own and that's good to see for them carrie carpenter is an interesting story he broke out late last season and he's keeping it going this year spencer torkelson still hasn't gotten it going but he's showing some flashes um and then the last name i want to talk about here because i'm I remain baffled by how often we hear this name come up in, in rumors is Javier Baez. Um, national media is like oddly <laughs> fixated on Baez and thinking yeah. that he's going to opt out. What? No, no, <laughs> like, okay. yeah, he's not I know you like and that. I have talked about this. <laughs> yeah. You and I have talked about this before at length, but he hasn't been good. He's been really, really bad. I don't, he has a 60 WRC plus right now. He's striking out less than ever before, but it's not working for him at all. He's not hitting for any power. He's not getting on base. He's, he's a good defender, but that's about it. And he's making a pretty significant guarantee here. He's making 23 million a year. I don't think anybody's handing that to him this off season, unless he like really went on a heater. And even if he did go on a heater, he's still Javier Baez. You still know who he is. So I don't know why he's coming up in these posts about trade candidates and about, oh, but he might opt out. Like, that's not happening. Unless he just, like, absolutely hates it there in Detroit and just wants to go somewhere else to the degree that he's going to leave tens of millions of dollars on the table to make it happen, he's not going anywhere. He, D Detroit is stuck with him. Oh, totally. I mean, granted, he was signed by the uh, the previous GM, Alavila, 
Um, right now, according to our model, he's he's underwater by about sixty-five million. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big contract, and he's not doing well. Basically, his his uh, his yeah his salary is just way too high. His field value is at like a forty-four, and his salary is at one hundred nine. We'll update that again tomorrow, but but that's where it's going. So nobody's going to take on that. I mean, the Mets once traded for him, so maybe think people think, oh, somebody else will. He does have that also that uncanny ability to make that highlight reel play that you're gonna you just go what like that play a couple of years ago with the pirates and you know which is amazing so like and he, he sometimes make, makes that magical flip in the infield so like the you know he's he's got some sizzle right but not a lot of substance because he can't he can't you know take a ball he can't take a walk he swings at everything. You know, he does have some power, but it's intermittent. So, you know, he's a flawed player, obviously. And the market knows this. The market, you know, he wasn't one of the – he was once thought of as one of the sort of crop of free agents back when, like, Seager and Simeon were on the market and everything. Uh, but he didn't get the deal that he wanted because the market kind of knows who he is at this point. And I've talked to some people at teams, and they're like, yeah, we know who he is. So, like, I'm not sure there's all that much interest from other teams. Uh, and, you know, unless Detroit ate a whole bunch of that money – you know, and I could see, yeah, maybe, <laughs> you know, then the question is, where does he fit? There's too many ifs there, I think. I completely agree. I I think he's just going to be in Detroit <laughs> for for a while yeah. and we'll see how it goes. I mean, at least, at least good for them that Cabrera is off the books after this season and that opens up a good chunk of change for them, but they are going to keep paying bias, so. Uh, the, if you're talking about opt-outs, the more interesting candidate is Eduardo Rodriguez. But we've we've spoken about him at length, and I don't I don't think there's really anything new to address with him. He's still one of the right. top pitching targets, uh, trade targets, and if he keeps pitching well, he's an opt-out candidate. If not, you're on the hook for the rest of his salary, and and that could get dicey with kind of his mm-hmm. track record of injuries and some off-field questions and some mm-hmm. underperformance. So there's a bit of a risk there with his opt-out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no reason to lump Baez into that conversation. Yeah. Okay, moving to the less good injury news. Uh, Drew Rasmussen, who's been on the shelf for most of this season, uh, he's going to undergo season-ending uh, internal brace surgery. Uh, I guess this is to address a flexor strain. Um, we've talked about the Rays a few times throughout the year about how they just didn't quite have the pitching depth that we're used to seeing from them, at least in the rotation. And here it is rearing its ugly head again. Um, McClanahan just went on the injured list as well. I, I believe that's a shorter term thing, but obviously concerning. Um, yeah. Back tightness backs can be scary. They mm-hmm. can definitely crop back up again. Uh, you know, you're hoping at some point late in the season, maybe you see Shane Boz, but it might be more realistic for next season. Uh, but yeah, you've, you've got Jeffrey Springs out for the year. You've got McClanahan out for the year. Josh Fleming, who was kind of their next guy up, not somebody you're excited about, but he's on the shelf with some elbow issues. Um, yeah, it's, it's looking pretty dicey. They've really had to lean on Taj Bradley. They've gotten excellent production from Zach Eflin. That was a great free mm-hmm. agent signing by them. So they've, They've been thrilled with that, I'm sure. But he's also a guy with a history of health concerns. Tyler Glass now is back. But he has his own health concerns. Um, things are just looking really thin there. I, I saw a report today that they're interested in Chris Flexen, and that kind of mm-hmm. tells you where they are. Yeah, um, well, when you look, you know, they would sign him for the league minimum, right? Because the Mets yeah. are eating that contract. Yeah, so yeah, and they, and they had 
they had Chase Anderson come through, <laughs> and it was kind of a similar deal of we need innings. We know he's not great, but yeah. he's a league minimum guy, and, and he'll make a spot starter two for us and then get DFA'd. Um, and you look down on the farm, and you see Luis Patino is still sitting in AAA. And so that kind of, with all these pitching issues, he's still sitting down there. That kind of shows you where his stock is right now and that they don't consider him a part of the solution there. So they have... It's they have a very talented team. They have a very deep farm system. They have a very good lineup, but there are some big issues on the pitching staff that they're going to need to address in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and we talked about them in in a previous episode. Like they were clearly going to need um, help both in the rotation and the bullpen. They've shored up their bullpen a little bit with some journeyman guys like. Deekman and Stevenson and Armstrong and so they've helped a little bit, you know, so those were fine. Um, but yeah, the rotation, I mean, who can you count on? If you're going into October, you're counting on right now, Glasnow and Eflin and Bradley's a rookie and he's performing well. Um, now hopefully you get McClanahan back soon so you can count on him. So there's three, but there's some question marks, but you're not going to get there down the home stretch with just three, maybe four guys. If you include Bradley and Torino's has not been good. So you really need at least one, if not two starters, and they're definitely going to be in the market. And we've talked about this before. They've got the farm. They've got the prospect capital to make a deal for a Gigalito or I don't see them taking Erod just because of the baggage of the contract. I think Gilito would be a very clean fit in Tampa. He's an easy plug and play rental, no further commitment. He's, I, I just think that's a, that's obvious. Um, and then after that, you start looking around a bit. So um, yeah, they're definitely going to be in the market and the flexing thing. Yeah. It's just cause he's basically free, you know, and they need arms. So sure. And if you look at their injured list right now, as you mentioned, I mean, that's a rotation. You know, you have on the injured list, McClanahan, Baz, Rasmussen, Springs. Those four guys have been really good. But they're all on the IL. Um, and I feel bad for Rasmussen because he already had two Tommy John surgeries before this. That's already, like, risky. They took a risk by trading Adamas for him and, uh, and Fireheisen. And then, um, so this is not necessarily his third Tommy John, but... If it was his third Tommy John, I think that would end his career. So there's that worry that he may be uh, on the precipice of being like he may not pitch again if it's worse than what they're saying it is. That's that I feel bad for the guy. Right, because he's so talented and, mm -hmm. and so effective when he is out there. Um, this isn't yeah. directly related to the pitching issue, but John, do you happen to know Luke Rayleigh's WRC plus? Uh, off the top of my head, no, but I know he's having a good year. So much so that they're batting him third in the lineup because I saw the game last night. 163. See? Yeah. Insane. <laughs> Luke this, Rayleigh, go, he's man. He's <laughs> 28. He was like a, a DFA-type trade, I, I, I believe, this past offseason. I, I think know. he's gone back and forth. Yeah, he was with the Dodgers and went to the Twins in some deal and then went back to the Dodgers and then ended up with the Rays and – Oh my goodness, he's been so insanely good for them. 2.7 wins above replacement by Fangraphs in not even a full like half season yet. Um, and you could, say that, you could say that about Paredes and Siri. Like, yeah. These are all cast-offs that they've turned into gold. Yeah, their lineup is incredible. It's very deep. And there's a couple guys, you know, Brandon Lau isn't quite performing the way you would like him to. And they've been kind of cycling some guys through at DH right now. Jonathan mm -hmm. Aranda just got called back up. 
but they could just leave their lineup alone entirely. If they want a bench guy, go for it. But I think they like Taylor Walls. I, I, Manuel Margot is a solid yeah. outfielder for them. Yeah. Harold Ramirez is a great platoon player. Um, yeah. So I, I think they could just leave their offense alone entirely and utilize this deep farm to add two starters even and totally be fine down the stretch and going into the future with still a pretty deep farm. So I, yeah, they're well positioned, but they have an urgency to make moves that some of these other teams don't. Yeah, there's no question they're going to make a move, probably, too. Right, so team to keep an eye on for those starting pitchers that we've discussed. Okay, moving on to another team that's actually in a shockingly similar scenario here, uh, the Dodgers. Uh, they are similarly just battered on the pitching staff. Um, this this most recent news is that Dustin May is undergoing season-ending flexor tendon surgery. Really unfortunate for him. He's also going to be undergoing a Tommy John revision for a grade 2 UCL sprain. I don't know exactly what that means. I'm not a doctor. Uh, he's been on the injured list since May, and now he's just going to be out for the year. They're hoping he can be back mid-season next year, but it's just another big blow for him and for the team. They've already been so banged up. Uh, Kershaw's on the injured list now with shoulder discomfort. That's never good. Bueller's out with Tommy John. Uh, Cindergard's on the injured list with a blister, but that's kind of a blessing in disguise for them. I think he's been terrible. Uh, Ryan Pepio, one of their prospects, strained oblique. He's been on. He's been injured like all season with that oblique, apparently. Um, and then they have what looks like a full bullpen on the injured list as well. Tyler Sear, JP Fireisen, Daniel Hudson just went down. That's really sad. Shelby Miller, Jimmy Nelson, Alex Reyes, and Blake Trinan. So it's looking dicey. Their rotation, I I would not have been able to name two or three of these guys coming into the season as, as guys I expected to be making regular turns in the rotation for the Dodgers. They've got Urias, Tony Gonsolin. Those are their de facto top two right now, and, and Urias isn't pitching like he has in previous years. And then they go Michael Grove, Emmett Sheehan, and Bobby Miller. And that's three rookies who are, yeah, they're, they're, they're piecing it together, but they're going to have their rookie struggles. And luckily it's the Dodgers. And so, you know, even with all those injuries, they're getting some decent performances out of the bullpen. There's definitely a couple guys they need to make some upgrades over, but they have at least a core in place in the bullpen, but things are looking dicey for them on the pitching side. Uh, they, they have enough of an offense. It's not quite raised level, but they have a solid deep offense that they can just focus on the pitching staff, but they're going to need to make some moves here. Oh, totally. And they've been kind of salvaged by their young pitching by Miller, by Sheehan. Those guys have been great. And, you know, very bright futures and their farm is full of more guys like that. So longer term they're set, you know, I don't know if they can bring up any more of them. They may be able to, um, but it's mostly at this point kind of a bandaid situation because, you know, again, if they're going to be a playoff team and I assume they will be still questions about that, but I assume they will be. Let's just say that for a moment. They're going to need some of their regular guys. They're going to need Urias to be healthy and performing at his normal level. They're going to need some of those IL guys to come back. Euler, I think, is due back at some point soon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and Kershaw, it may just be kind of wear and tear in age. He's 35. He's got a barking shoulder, but I don't know if it's like a serious shoulder thing. It may be just that they're playing it so that they can have him back and healthy for the stretch run. Um, but yeah, they lost May. 
<coughs> Syndergaard's not good. And um, Pepia with those oblique, a lot of oblique issues. Uh, you never really know with that. So they should be able to get Bueller and maybe Kershaw back at some point. So you figure, okay, looking at the rotation, you get those two guys, you know, hopefully they get something for them. And then you kind of piece it together with maybe you get the best of Urias. Gonsolin, okay, all right, you can count on Gonsolin, I think, for the most part. And then mix and match one of the other rookies. But I think that's still kind of a patchwork situation, obviously. So you need another guy. You need a Giolito. You need a guy you can count on who's been good. And whoever's going to get Giolito, I think there's going to be an overpay because everybody needs help, and he's the obvious one. So the Rays need him. The Dodgers need him. Everybody needs him. So, um, yeah, he's going somewhere. So I could see a fit here. Um, maybe Lance Lynn, just he's not as good uh, as – you know, as he used to be, but, you know, he's a pro. Maybe he'll fit in with the change of scenery. That's the other thing. If you get these guys out of losing teams, sometimes they perk up. So maybe you can see a guy like that. But they definitely need help. I will also say that um, Dave Roberts, the, the the Dodgers manager, said something about, yeah, we definitely need a right-handed bat as well. Like, he made it very clear that they need help there. Um, they haven't been getting as much production out of second base, shortstop. Like the, they need a right-handed batter infielder, is what they're saying. So look for that too. Yeah, I think part of that specifically is that Chris Taylor has been injured, and he also yeah. hasn't been playing all that well when he's been healthy. Uh, and he was a big part of their right-handed option anywhere on the field. So yeah, that's that's definitely a good point there. Um, uh, it looks like with Bueller, he underwent surgery in August, so you don't really know what you're getting from him if yeah, and when he does true. return. You can't you can't guarantee he's going to be vintage Bueller and Beard like one yeah. or two come October, so that's really a big question mark. And I, I, I got the same sense on Kershaw that, that you were alluding to, that it might just be a, let's give the guy a break. He's 35 and yeah. it's a long season. Yeah. Uh, but it's, shoulder is always scary. Um, one thing I want to point out here is we... The past off season, it seemed like the Dodgers were taking it kind of quiet, playing it kind of safe, trying to reset their luxury tax. But I believe, I might be mistaken, um, I'm trying to check their salaries right now. I believe they pushed over the luxury tax threshold when they acquired Miguel Rojas, which was weird because it's, you know, they spent the whole off season. Yeah, right now they're they're over the luxury tax. They're at 245 million estimated by roster resource and the first tier is 233 million. So they they only have a small gap to that next tier, the 253 mark. Um, but there's if they're already over the threshold, you figure they might be a bit more aggressive here. They might be willing to add some salary. And so I wonder if that makes them a cleaner fit for Eduardo Rodriguez since they can take on some of that yeah. opt-out risk. Right. And especially an interesting fit, and we'll talk about the Mets a little later, but if the Mets do decide to sell, and if Scherzer does become available, I wonder if they're a good fit for him as well, for, for a reunion there, since they can take on some of that salary. Not all of it, I don't think. I still think Cohen's eating a good chunk of that to get some sort of a prospect return, but at least more of it than some other teams would be willing to take. Yeah, I know there's been some interesting speculation in the media about the Scherzer return to L.A. And well, one factor there is he does, I believe, still have a no-trade uh, right, right to video. Yes. Excuse me, right to video, veto, excuse me, 
any trade. So, and he obviously said, okay, I'll go to LA in the last time. So maybe he would say, okay, I'll go to LA again. Cause he guess he likes it. So, um, so that's fueling some, some speculation as well. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's again, one of those iffy situations. I think it's a good call with Eduardo Rodriguez because if he does, um, you know, opt in, let's say, um, they may be able to get the best out of him and, and have a good deal. Maybe you'll be happy there. I know there's a little bit less risk there with like any potential baggage from Erod uh, in that scenario. So that's that's a good call. And, you know, they've got such a good farm that they can outbid other bidders, except for maybe the Rays for for talent in the in the in the market so i can definitely see them play excuse me definitely see them players uh for rotation help and it does make lance lynn who you mentioned it does make him a bit of an easier fit as well he's due to de- he's owed a a decent chunk of money down the stretch he's making 18 and a half this year so rest of the way that'll be like seven ish million six or seven million yeah um and he I actually didn't know this about Lynn. He has an $18 million club option for 2024. I wouldn't put that as anywhere near likely to be exercised. And right. he, he certainly doesn't project that way as of now. And he has a 6.03 ERA. So you might be thinking, wow, I'm crazy for even bringing it up. But he's had a handful of like really good starts mixed in where it's like, ah, yes, he's back to Lance Lynn like vintage Lance Lynn. And so if he were to go to the Dodgers and he were to just run off a string of 12 of those starts, I wonder if he becomes a candidate for, for a club option to be picked up. And I wonder if that just that availability there, that option <laughs> you, you would say, I wonder if that makes him a little bit more intriguing. It does. And I'll throw another name out there just for fun is Rich Hill. <laughs> Rich Hill's played, I think on every Rich Hill team, is a fun Dodgers. name. Yeah. And, you know, he's probably, you know, the Pirates have been slipping and, you know, coming back to Earth. And so, and he's a rental, so he won't cost much. And he's, what, 43. (laughs) It's a plug and play. But he's Rich Hill. He's not dominant or anything. He's, you know, he's a depth starter at this point. But I can see it, right? I could see him anywhere. He could go to any (laughs) team and be incredibly easy to root for. (laughs) Yeah. And Granky's another one. If, yes, you know, if, if he, he's injured right now as well, yeah, I believe yeah. it was a hamstring. Uh-huh. I might be off on that, but if he's back, then yeah, he's also a clean fit pretty much anywhere. Um, moving on to just a couple other quick hits. Um, Jordan Montgomery left uh, his most recent start with a hamstring injury. That's concerning. Um, I don't think we know much about the severity of it. I think there's still testing coming up. Uh, it's not... You know, on the one hand, it's pretty unfortunate timing with the trade deadline coming up. And he would be one of the better rental starters available if the Cardinals have not turned it around like we were kind of expecting them to. They look like pretty clear sellers at this point. Um, So on the one hand, the deadline coming up, that's pretty poor timing. On the other hand, the the all-star break is right now as well. So he's getting a long rest here. If it is just a lower, you know, just he kind of tweaked something a little bit, maybe... He skips a turn in the rotation after the All-Star break, and he's good to go again. Uh, but it's certainly one to keep an eye on because I, I did like him a lot as a trade candidate uh, this deadline, and this yeah. calls that into question, unfortunately. Yeah, you've been waving the flag on, on Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think everybody's going to be looking at that because he was an obvious trade candidate and uh, an attractive one. 
Um, you know, his teammate Jack Flaherty has been getting some buzz as well. Um, you know, you might notice in our site that we don't have Flaherty's number is all that high because he's had a lot of issues. He's had injury issues. He's had performance issues. He's had a persistent shoulder issue. Um, his his peripherals don't look good either. So you might think, oh, it's Jack Flaherty. Wasn't he good like four years ago? Yes, he was, but it's four years ago. So it's just a, doesn't feel quite the same. And I know he's had a couple of good starts where you think, oh, he's back. And but the peripherals don't show that necessarily. So I just I wouldn't get too excited about Jack Flaherty. That's my point. Agreed. And and there's a couple other names there you could look at in St. Louis. Jordan Hicks is the main one that comes to mind. He would be he, he's also a pending free agent. He's been pretty solid this year out of the bullpen. So he's a guy who could yeah. be a late inning option if for yeah. a team that needs some bullpen help. Um and then the big one, um, Mike Trout, handmate surgery. He's going to be out four to eight weeks at a minimum, it seems like, uh, which we spent a lot of last episode talking about the Angels. I don't think we need to get too deep into it, but this does make things a lot murkier for them because... We need a sad trombone, Josh. Yes. Sad trombone cue. <laughs> the saddest. And that's that's what these past few years have been for Trout. It's just repeated sad trombones. Um, yeah, I, I don't know... I don't know if there's much else to say here other than it's a big bummer for, for the Angels and for baseball. And it does seem to push the needle a bit more toward them selling. Um, I still don't know what to make of the Otani side of it. You know, the, we, we talked about that a lot last episode and, and kind of what you came down to was, hey, if they're if they're out of it, they're, they're trading him. If they're in it, they're keeping him. Um I don't know. I don't know. This, this definitely complicates things. You, you you can't look at this and say it, it anything other than it makes it more likely that they would end up trading him. But I don't know. It's it's still just so hard for me personally to picture them ever trading Otani that I'll I'll believe it when I see it kind of a thing. I'm not going to make any definitive statements. I'm not going to get burned like I did with Soto last deadline, but I'll I'll believe an Otani trade when I see it. You know, Ken Rosenthal said something really interesting the other day. He said that Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, does not want to be the guy that is known for having traded Otani. And I thought about that for a moment, and then I realized that, you know, Artie Moreno's whole career, he's been a meddling owner, but he has Dodgers envy. Like, and he renamed the team as the Los Angeles Angels because he wants to have that sort of cachet of being a Los Angeles team, even though they're not. So that clearly he wants to be like a big-time player, and he doesn't want He's trying to shake the, you know, reputation of the Angels as like the other team, you know, the kid brother team. And he's really like, no, 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 we're in there. We're L.A. We're, you know, and they're not really. But he's like, he's that's what he wants. That's what he thinks. And so trading Otani would be going against that nature. Like his whole branding of we're L.A., we're one of the players. But then he traded Otani. Like, like he's very super conscious of that that sort of uh, the optics, I guess you would say of that. Um, and so that got me thinking, like, maybe that's a good point because I think more rationally, that's just me. I'm like, okay, well, you got 50 million in trade value. Of course you're going to trade him, right? If you're not out of it, because you'd be stupid not to, because your farm is not good. So there's 50 million in, in prospect assets you can get. Who wouldn't do that? Well, I guess Ari Moreno, maybe, maybe. So you got to factor that in. Yeah, I, 
I, I think that plays a bigger role here than it does than it has in, in similar cases in the past. I, I think the optics really matter in this case to the team. Um, I'm just going to throw out a bold prediction for the offseason of whichever team signs Otani, there's going to be like some actual buzz, like not 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 just New York Post speculation, John Heyman, whatever. There's going to be actual buzz that that team's also going to trade for Trout. I think I think y- you can't keep the Angels chugging along with no Otani and and keep Trout there and and convince yourself you're building another contender. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm not one to play into the the like oh they're trading this guy because they're bad now and, and he's on the way out like I'm not I'm not one to play into that kind of hype but I think I think we might be headed toward that and obviously it's going to be the whole Arenado discussion again where Trout doesn't I, I don't even know if he has a positive surplus right now because he he's because on a very high contract the injuries the that looks like a downtick in performance this year. Um, there's some complications here. The Angels would need to eat money. He has a no trade clause, et cetera, et cetera. Um, actually, actually, at this point, it's not even a, a no trade clause. It's just straight up 10-5 rights where yeah. since he's a veteran yeah. with 10 years of big league time and five years on the current team, he can't be traded without his permission. So there's some complications there, but I, I think it might be the end of the line there. It would be tough to see an Angels team that just forces Trout out there next year with no Otani and, and no chance of making the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and it's I mean, even tougher to see an Angels team that puts together a playoff contender without Otani next year. Yeah, and again, if you're already Moreno, you're like, who's my star? If I traded Trout, if I lost Otani and traded Trout, who's my star? Is it Joe Adele? <laughs> I mean, he looks like a star, but he hasn't played like a star. And he's not really a star based on the evidence. So, like, you know, there's not really a star guy on the farm that you can sort of build around you know you don't have a julio rodriguez or whatever so yeah i mean you got you're looking at a bleak few years until you find your young stars again um and that would be a tough sell uh, but on the other hand i think you're onto something because like if Atani's not there and it's just trout and you know whoever that's not a good vibe <laughs> you know it's sort of like you feel like you missed your window right like oh you remember when you had both and now you don't and so yeah i could see that it's funny that you said it would be a tough sell <laughs> Artie moreno was was considering selling the team last off season and kind of took a 180 on it and and hung on uh but i wonder if otani walking and the, the outlook of the team just being so bleak maybe puts his head back in the other direction and maybe he starts to think about it again and then that makes it easier for a trout trade to go through of this is someone else's problem. You know, someone else yeah. is going to take on this team and have to build it up from the bottom again and have some down years, but it's, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm out on this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's not looking good for the angels, unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's go to two other teams that it isn't looking too good for. Um, so I wrote an article this week about the Mets and the Padres. They're in very similar spots. They're both fourth in their divisions. They are near the top of the payroll rankings this year. They were super aggressive teams the last couple of years, building up with all these veteran expensive stars, extensions, and whatnot. And they've been similarly disappointing this year. And so I don't want to get too deep into the specifics of the article because there's a lot of user trade proposals included here. 
um, that I think it would it would not be the best podcast experience for me to just list all those off and basically read the whole article. So I'm going to link it in the show notes. I, I do want to talk about these two teams a bit more broadly, talk about the comparison between the two, talk about what they can do this deadline and, and what their options are for either direction, whether they're buying or selling. Um, let's, let's start with the Mets. Uh, they're in, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say some, some things about both teams that, that definitely apply to both. You know, I, I could say the Mets are in a bind. Well, the Padres are in a bind too. Um, the, the Mets though, they obviously have Cohen. They obviously have all the money in the world and we've already seen them kind of show that off. We talked about it earlier in the episode, the Escobar trade and the Flexen trade. We, we can tell what their strategy is going to be, whether they're buying or selling, they're going to be using that money. And that opens up a lot of interesting possibilities for them on either end of things. I tend to also believe that makes them more inclined to be buyers. Um, Obviously, both of these teams want to buy, and they're going to keep saying in the media whenever they're asked about it that we're buyers. Um, but we got a couple weeks here for things to sort themselves out, and at some point, what you want to do and what you need to do might not be the same thing. Uh, but the Mets, with all the money in the world and with, honestly, plenty of young talent that's made its way to the big leagues and that you can you can kind of project to improve next year... Um, it, it, I think it makes you can make a pretty strong case for them to buy, unless and all of this is, is you know barring a total collapse these next couple of weeks where they fall even further in division. But right now, as of recording on a Sunday midday or so, they're they're 42 and 47. They're 18 and a half back in the division. There's no chance of them catching the Braves at this point. But you look at the teams ahead of them. The Phillies have some flaws and. The Marlins are totally smoke and mirrors. You know, they've been fun, but I, I don't think anybody's really guaranteeing them making the playoffs this season. So if we look over to the wild card standings, you know, the Mets and Padres are both six and a half back, and the teams that they'd have to leapfrog here are those Marlins and Phillies that I mentioned, uh, the Giants and the Brewers. And I don't think... Th- these aren't juggernauts that we're talking about. I think those those teams can all be passed. Um question is will they and and the main thing that both of these teams need the Mets and the Padres is just for their current stars to start playing like stars you can't have Scherzer and Verlander and um and even Pete Alonso is like he's hitting for power but not really doing anything else and Starling Marte hasn't been good I don't know if it's even safe to call him a star anymore Jeff McNeil's been cold You can't have these guys playing that poorly if you're the Mets. And similarly on the Padres, you can't have Machado and Bogarts and Darvish and Cronenworth. These guys aren't, they're just not playing to their career levels and they need to. So that's issue number one for both of these teams. Uh, But going back to the Mets, if you're looking at them as buyers, they are in a bit of a tricky spot because they have so much locked in. You know, they're not going to find an upgrade over a McNeil in a trade. They're not going to trade for a star second baseman and push McNeil to the bench. They're going to ride it out with him. And so in their lineup, all they can really do is, you know, maybe you're looking at that DH spot. Maybe you're adding an outfielder and I guess you can push Marte to the bench, but there's not a whole lot of options there. What they really need is pitching. They need a couple relievers. They need a starter. Their their fifth spot hasn't been working out between David Peterson and, and McGill and, I think they've had Lucchese up a couple times, but 
the bullpen is a mess. They don't trust anyone out there other than David Robertson and like maybe a little bit Brooks Raley and Adam Ottavino. But other than that, they are really feeling Edwin Diaz being out. So they need some bullpen help. Rotation, they really need some stability there. Carlos Carrasco has been pretty bad for them too. So it's pretty obvious for them. They, they need pitching and they have a handful of pieces on the farm to get it done. But I think more, more than anything else, they're going to leverage their payroll flexibility to, to get some deals done. Um, I'll pause there. I've yeah. been rambling for a bit, but what do you think about the Mets as a whole and kind of their, their potential as buyers? So, so the obvious narrative is that they overpaid for aging stars who are in decline. And that's almost a cliche in the baseball industry now. Like, like almost to the point where like people say, well, no, they've still got some life in them. Like they cite the Giants from a couple of years ago with all their aging stars and they made a run. And I get that. I mean, sometimes you can have a blip, but the long-term trends are very clear. You get older, you get worse. You get older, you get worse. And so why are you overpaying for these older aging stars and Marte and Scherzer and Verlander? Yes, they've all had their good years, but they're now kind of past their prime. And so you're starting to see... You know, those those chickens coming home. So, you know, <clears throat> far be it from me to spout cliches, but I think that's what's going on. I think that's the problem. And so it's hard to kind of turn that around because age is undefeated. So Scherzer and Verlander are not getting any younger. Marte's not getting any younger. They're not going to turn it around that much. So, like, what are you wishing for? Maybe the home stretch will perk them up, but that's really your only shot. Because you're not gonna, <clears throat> unless you totally, you know, turn it around, turn it into okay, we're sellers, and like we talked about with Scherzer and stuff. So maybe you retool for next year, but you're still gonna have the same problem if you don't get rid of all your aging stars. You know, if you contrast that with the Rays, who have the complete opposite, which is we're gonna bet on young guys who have positive rejection coming, uh, uh, regression coming. And so that's why they trade for Paredes and Whaley, because they know those guys are about to come into their prime. And so they are going to catch the upswing instead of the downswing. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a, a lesson here in, in roster construction. I'm not optimistic because I, I think age is undefeated and I don't think they're going to get any better, but I could be wrong. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a couple different cases that we're looking at here where, I, I don't have any sense of optimism for Starling Marte. I think he's, you know, maybe he comes back to be a to being a solid player, but I think his days of being a star are long gone. And I think we all kind of saw this coming when they signed that contract. We're like, that's, that's a lot yeah. of money for a guy who yeah. has been fairly inconsistent and he's not going to age well. You know, he's... Yeah got some speed that doesn't age the best he doesn't really have a ton of power so once he loses his speed in center field and has to be a corner guy he doesn't really have a lot left to offer and that's exactly what we're really seeing with him so yeah um i'm not optimistic there at all scherzer and verlander are we've talked about this before how there's like there's kind of the exception to the rule where you can't model the aging curve for everyone and there's these outliers and we've seen them these are really the two main guys we've mentioned it for um where they just seem like they just keep trucking along and we we always when we talked about that we said eventually it's gonna run out but we just can't project them in the same way as everyone else and so that's where it leads to this question of is this them hitting the wall is this the end or the beginning of the end for either of these guys or is it just you know they had a cold first half verlander had a weird start to the year he was injured and um 
it seems like he might be finding his footing a little bit more as he as he gets further into the season. I'm, I'm sure the peripherals aren't a huge fan of his performance. I'm just glancing at it on roster resource, and I see that his strikeouts are pretty far down. So, I mean, he's, he's looking more like a third starter, which is not what you're looking for if you're paying him $43 million a year. Um, and, and Scherzer is pulling him up as well, but he's you don't want an ERA over four from him either. He's, I think he's had a bit of a home run problem. Yeah, he's, he's given up a lot of home runs. So these are both guys that are, their peripherals are painting them more as like a solid three. And that's not what you're looking for if you're paying these guys $86 million combined per year. <laughs> um, the flip side of that, though, is that Scherzer, of, of the two, Scherzer, there's a reason we've been mentioning him throughout this episode as a trade candidate and not talking a lot about Verlander. Um, for one thing, Scherzer is a year younger and he's, his peripherals have been a little bit better. And I think you can trust him a little bit more to finish out his contract as a valuable major league pitcher, maybe not a superstar, but as a good pitcher. Um, he's under team control through next season. And so that's only, you know, roughly, <laughs> I say only, but it's, it's roughly 60 million that he's owed the remainder of this season plus next season. Uh, but Verlander has another uh, player option tacked onto the end of that, that really spikes up his contract. So there's a big gap in the projected performance. There's a gap in the age. There's a gap in the salaries. And so Verlander would just be a, a really tough player for them to move at this point. They'd have to eat a lot of money. He's well underwater. Whereas Scherzer, they'll still need to eat some to make a deal happen, but they can eat, half of his contract let's say and still get a decent prospect back whereas verlander they're going to need to eat a whole lot more money um yeah. so that so i think if, if you are looking at them as sellers scherzer's the obvious one they can move those three bullpen guys i mentioned earlier robertson Ottavino, rayleigh um maybe a team is interested in omar narvaez as a, as a backup catcher we talked about how shallow that market is maybe a team is interested in vogelbach or mark canna or tommy Pham would be a decent piece, I guess. I don't think they're moving Pete Alonso and I don't think they really have any chance unless they're, unless they're really doing some weird salary dump. I don't really think they have any chance of moving Marte. So that's, that's at least my take on them as sellers. Yeah. I mean, the one on uh, sort of unknown here is Steve Cohen because he's still fairly new to baseball ownership and he obviously want, wanted a winner so badly that he overpaid all these aging stars for it which is a kind of a classic Steinbrenner-ish mistake, right? Um, like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You have to kind of catch it right. I don't know if he's caught it right. And so then I don't know if he's going to say, all right, let's just sell them all off and start over again. Like, yeah, like he's a money guy, right? So he understands selling high and buying low. Like that's what his whole business is, right? So, so that part of me that understands Steve Cohen's like – trader mindset makes me wonder like would he just like call it a loss and say okay start over sell from sell the pieces off i don't know he does it in his business every day though so you know there's some question there um i think <laughs> he's so such a large character and so public and so clearly passionate about like he's, he's a mets fan and he grew up a Mets fan and he got to own the team and now he's kind of playing with it. And like you said, maybe he, he got a little too carried away with it. He, he is emulating some of these Steinbrenner things that he maybe saw growing up or throughout his fandom. And so I can do that now. Um, 
but I think he's too passionate. And I mean, at this point, we're we're speculating on the <laughs> personal preferences yeah, of a right. bunch of billionaires we've never met. But I think the sense that I get is that he's so public and so passionate about this team that I don't think he's doing any kind of teardown. I think the most he would do is flipping a Scherzer and, you know, going and having a press release the next day and saying, hey, we're just we got this prospect we're really excited about. We're going to be in the market for Otani. He obviously can't directly say that tampering and all, but he'll say we're going to be in the market for top free agents next off season. This is not a rebuild. This is just, we're, we're moving some pieces around dealing with the reality of where we are this year. And we're going to compete for a world series next year. I think that's kind of the most you see him doing. That's why Mm. I don't think there's even a chance of an Alonzo trade or, or him eating salary to get a guy like Nimmo or Lindor or McNeil off the books. Like that's mm-hmm. part of their core. He's, he's all in on those guys. Yeah. And they're younger. And so that makes sense. I mean, the only other thing that comes to mind is maybe they're playing the workload management game a little bit. Um, I know Scherzer and Verlander have been a little bit on the IL here and there. So maybe they're just trying to like, okay, they're old. Let's, let's go easy on them. Kind of like we talked about with Kershaw and the Dodgers. Like maybe they keep them around and say, okay, we're, we're saving you guys for October. You're going to get your, you're going to peak in September and October. Right. And so maybe there's a little bit of that going on is the only other thing I could see if, you know, the case for not trading them. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. Um, let's flip over to the Padres with our last few minutes here. Like I said before, there's, there's a lot of things that I could just copy paste from, from what we said about the Mets, yeah. you know, whole lot of money, whole lot of aging veterans. You know, I listed those guys earlier that are struggling Machado, Bogarts, Cronenworth, Darvish, Machado, Cronenworth, and Darvish each just got big extensions this past off season. And they just signed Bogarts this past off season. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about Bogarts. It's a, it's a bit of a cold start, but he's been fine. And I think he's going to continue to be fine. He is just 30. I'm not too worried about him. Cronenworth, you know, maybe you have a little bit more concern there because he's not like, he was never a superstar prospect and he's never really been a superstar. He's been kind of Zobrist type where he'll play all over the diamond and get you value in a bunch of different ways. Um, And now he's not doing that so much and he's playing a lot of first base, which is the least valuable defensive position. And so there's some concerns there. There's some concerns for Machado who just got what our model kind of expected was way too much money in that extension. Um, and he's not really hitting the way he should be. And Darvish, he's just extended so far into his career. I, I was surprised the model liked it as much as it did, but he's going into his 40s with the team, and I don't think they wanted him to have an ERA near five in year one of that deal. So uh, there, there's some concerns with those guys, obviously. But again, you look at this team, and it's so geared to win now that there's not really an exit strategy. And I think that's what you see with the Mets. And that's what you see here. There's not a clear path out if things are going South like they are. And the two other factors here are one, there's Peter Seidler, who I don't think we know as much about him publicly. And he's had some public comments in recent weeks saying that we're going for it, but we haven't had the same public presence from him as we've had from a Cohen. So he's harder to read as far as how he's going to handle budgets and stuff going forward especially since this is the Padres. This is San Diego. This is a much smaller media media market than the Mets, than New York. And Seidler is still richer than God, but he's not in Cohen's tier of, of capital. 
So there's some there's some very valid questions to be asked in San Diego where you can just say, okay, the Mets are going to lead the league in spending each year now. Cool, good for them. There's some valid questions to ask in San Diego for how long they're going to let this run and how far they're actually willing to go financially. So that's a valid question. But then kind of working against that is that one, their playoff odds are much higher than the Mets. They have a much clearer path here because their division doesn't have a Braves in it. They are genuinely a hot week away from being second in this division because the D-backs have been a fun story and I like them a lot, but they're not a powerhouse. The Dodgers, we talked about how beat up they are. They're not the powerhouse they used to be. And the Giants have always just been kind of this middling, like maybe they'll contend for a wild card spot. Maybe they'll be 500 type team. So there isn't, there's a window here for the Padres to turn it on and, and take control of the division even. Yeah. So I'm... they have a clear path to victory and they have an AJ Preller who is always the wild card and will always surprise us and push chips in and isn't afraid to do anything. So they, they have a clear opening here. Yeah, I'm a little more optimistic about the Padres, as you know, than I am the Mets. Um, for some of those same points, first of all, they've got Bob Melvin as manager. If you look at his history, like some of those A's teams, they really got hot in the second half. They kind of got cold starts, and then they would really turn it on. Now, I don't know how much of that is attributable to Melvin, but it is a pattern. So maybe there's that. Maybe it gives them some hope for Padres fans saying, "Yeah, they're going to turn it on." As Melvin's teams always do. That's point number one. Point number two is. Preller, if you look at his history, is is e either all in or all out. He's never in the middle, right? So remember when he first took the job, um, the owner wanted him to build a winner really fast. And so he had a trade from Matt Kemp and a couple other veterans. Okay, here's some veterans. And it didn't work. It blew up in their face. He did a complete 180 and said, okay, we're going to rebuild. Rebuild the farm beautifully, masterfully. And then got to the point where, okay, the farm is bursting at the seams. Now let's build a winner. And so we trade away all those prospects for the Sotos and Cronin Worths and all these guys. And now they've got a winner. Okay. So they're not going backwards. So I don't think I don't think Seidler's comments are off base because I think Prolo thinks the same way. We're all in. I think there's enough optimism here that um, they can go for it. And because Preller is such a transaction-oriented GM, I can see him just like plugging holes. Like, okay, give me another bullpen arm because I need that. Um, like he's a shopper, right? Uh, okay, I need to, you know, give me a, you know, they just DFA'd Nelson Cruz. So that didn't work out. They got Matt Carpenter. So maybe they need a, another bat. Um, so I kind of feel like they're going to be buyers. Um, I don't think they're going to sell. If they sell, they're, they're looking at Snell and Hater on the market, which they could get some because they both had good years, they could get some things, but I don't think they're going to sell. Um, their bench is not great. They've, they've been using a lot of Brandon Dixon and Matthew Batten and Ned Andor. Like, they need another guy they can count on there, especially because there's always going to be, like, churn. So I think they need one more bat um, and another bullpen arm. I think their rotation is not as bad because Snell, Musgrove, and Darvish are a strong three. Lugo has been surprisingly good as a four, so we might be okay in the rotation. I just think you need another bullpen arm and maybe one more bat. So I think what's interesting here is I agree with all your points about the direction they're heading in and that they probably should be buyers unless things fall apart. Um, and I believe that despite what I said earlier about kind of the questions about their budget. However, I think there's like a slightly greater temptation to sell because they have more attractive pieces to sell than the Mets do. If they decided to sell, they could 
take charge of the trade market, right? Snell might be the best rental pitcher available, depending on how you think of him versus Giolito. But Snell is in the middle of like one of the hottest stretches of his career right now. He's just been fantastic. Lugo, like you mentioned, he's been a nice little surprise. Michael Waka has been pretty good for them. He's on the shelf with a shoulder injury. I don't know how long that's going to keep him out, but if he's back, he could be an interesting sell. Hader has been as dominant as ever this season, so he's instantly the best closer on the market. And obviously these guys are all rentals, but if they decided to dip a little bit past that, you're looking at Haseon Kim, and you're looking at Juan Soto. I don't think there's even like a percent of a chance that it happens, but if it did, because it's Preller, because, you know, he's aggressive, and like you said, he's either all in or all out. If he decides he's all out, or if there's direction from the top that like, hey, we've gone too far, we need to cut back on the money a little bit, Soto would be who you're looking at. And I know that there's some Yankees fans salivating over it already. I've seen all the tweets. <laughs> um, I don't think it's anywhere near likely, but I just want to acknowledge that that temptation is there, that they could get a huge return for Soto. They could get solid returns for Snell and Hader and some of these other pieces. Haseon Kim is a really good player. I think he would fit the Mariners really well. Um, so that, that I want to acknowledge the temptation there. I also want to acknowledge the temptation in the other direction that, like I said, Preller is a wild card. He can do anything. He has some, you know, we, we've talked about how depleted the farm system has been, but they've built it right back up, it seems. You know, it's not it's not at the top of the list like it used to be, but they, yeah. chug, they churn out these, like, really solid players, and they develop well, they identify talent well. And so they have a trio at the top of their farm system, Jackson Merrill, Ethan Salas, and Dylan Lesko. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Ethan Salas is a guy they'd trade. He's like 17 and yeah. already just like showing tools off the charts. Right. He was, he, I think he played in spring training as a 16 year old and got a hit <laughs> and he was catching like 29 year olds. <laughs> Insane. So I think it's way too early to move a guy like that. I think, I think that's a guy they hang on to. But you look at Lesko and Merrill. These are two really exciting prospects and they are guys that you'd figure Preller might want to hang out on to, but if he's going all in here, the the proposal, I'll go ahead and spoil one proposal from uh, from my article. And this is just an example one. It might not be the perfect trade, but Jackson Merrill going to the White Sox for Dylan Cease and Yasmani Grandal. That's really yeah. interesting. That's a yeah. that's a big big pitcher with some team control to really solidify a fifth guy in that rotation. Not not saying Seas is a number five, but just to round out that rotation, you have five guys you really trust. Plus yeah. Waka if he comes back. Yeah. And Grandal is an interesting at least option at catcher. You know, he's he's not playing well and he's at the end of his career here, but he projects better than what they have. So mm -hmm. that's at least an upgrade projected. And you're moving Jackson Merrill, who's your top, top guy, but you're getting a whole lot of talent in return for it and really adding to this team, not just for this year, but going forward. And so that's just the, the kind of potential that they have if they do decide to push those chips in. And keep in um, mind, with the with the long-term Bo Bogert's contract, Merrill is blocked at shortstop. You know? He's right. blocked at third base if they moved him there. And maybe you could say, okay, they'll move him to second base. But, I mean, with all these long-term contracts that the Padres have – some of these prospects are not going to have a, a place to play, you know, unless they really push the door down and, and overtake some of the veterans. But, but, you know, you got to factor that in as well. But I think that's an interesting proposal. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like I said, that that's Preller, that's kind of pie in the sky. I don't know if he'll go all the way all in like that. I think what you were suggesting earlier of like 
I, I do think they need a DH. Teoscar Hernandez can make some sense here. Um, Brent Rooker, if, if they want to go back to that well, although he's been pretty horrible the last couple months. Um, Joey Manessis, maybe, from the Nationals. There, there's some options at DH there. Uh, th- that's never too difficult of a spot to fill at the deadline, but I think they do need a bat or two. Um, they could go out and get a catcher. There's some options if they want to at least add another. There, there's no great options, but a Jan Gomes at least raises their floor, which I think they would like. Yeah. Um, so those are those are the two spots on offense. I think you're you're a little uncertain if you're going through the rest of the season trying to piece together a spot in the rotation with Lugo, Waka, and and there are two spots in the rotation really with Lugo, Waka, and whatever you have at AAA. So I think they could be low, looking in the lower end of the starting pitching market. You know, maybe not a Giolito, but maybe they get a Lynn or, or somebody a Montgomery. Even I'd like a lot as a fit for them. Just somebody they can trust every fifth day to to give some stability. And then a couple relievers, but I do agree with kind of what you you started this with that I think they have a clearer path forward this season, and maybe they don't have quite as quite the pressing incentive that the Mets do to just they gotta go for it, they gotta win, they have so much invested. They obviously have a ton invested here, but I think they have a better picture and, and maybe less outside pressure. But I think they're also in a better position here that you know their return on investment, if we, if we want to continue to look at this through financial terms, uh, projects to be much higher from making some additions. You know, they if they increase their projections down the stretch, two or three wins, that could be all that it takes. Yeah, well, Seidler's like, well, you only live once. I've got to go for it now, you know. And he doesn't seem too bothered by going over budget, but, you know, uh, that doesn't seem to be a limitation so far if you, if you look at their actions. Uh, one thing I did want to point out with Lugo is you know he's a converted reliever and he's already pitched 63 innings this year and that's already kind of topping out like he pitched 65 as a reliever last year and then going back to 2019 he pitched 80 so it's been a while since he's gotten any more innings than this so you you start to wonder how much gas is left in that tank so yeah uh, <laughs> you might need another starter actually now you've kind of convinced me yeah, and you know that Lugo is—he's been kind of long relief swing manny, and he had like kind of a stint as like an elite late inning arm. But even then, he was—you know—2019 his best season. He made 61 appearances, but 80 innings total. So even then, he was going multi innings. But yeah, it's been—he's at 63 innings, like you said. And he's on track to go well over 100, and he hasn't done that since 2018. So there's some valid questions there about how you expect him to hold up, even if it's not an injury, maybe it's just the performance takes a tick down as he gets kind of kind of worn out. And then, okay, maybe they can weather that through September, but if he's taking the ball in October, you want, you want him fresh. So even if it's an arm that lets you like, you add an arm to the rotation and it lets you maybe skip, skip a turn or two for Lugo especially when Waka comes back and maybe you move him out of the bullpen for like a week or two, just something to keep him a little more fresh. I think that would be really valuable to them. So one of our users proposed Paul Blackburn to the Padres to reunite him with Bob Melvin. And yes, I was like, huh, maybe he could eat some innings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not a guy you necessarily want to hand the ball in October, but he is a guy who could really help you get there with some stability. You know, he hasn't right. been, he was an all-star last year. I think everyone kind of knew that was 
smoke and mirrors. Um, yeah. He collapsed down the stretch. Part of that was injury related, but even leading into that, he was kind of outperforming his peripherals, but he is a solid take the ball every fifth, fifth day, give you five or six innings of competitive baseball. That's who he is at this point. And he comes with some team control. He's cheap. And like you said, it's, it's a reunion with Bob Melvin. So I think they'd be, I think they'd be on board with that. And you know, the A's are, <laughs> they're not hanging on too tightly to anyone these days. So I, yeah. I like that fit. Yeah. All right. I, I think that's all I have for today. Like I said, this article, tons more in it. There's tons of specific trade proposals, tons of other names. Um, I'll tease one other name that I really liked for the Mets that I didn't mention earlier is Jaimer Candelario. He's one of the yeah. top rental bats and mm-hmm. he'd give them some insurance at third base. Could be a DH, could come off the bench, whatever. I like him a lot for them. Um, but plenty more, plenty of other names, plenty of other trade proposals in this article. So it's linked below. Uh, go ahead and give that a read. And yeah, other than that, though, I think that's all for me. Do you have anything else? I just want to say, as as we're recording this, uh, it's the day of the draft. Um, And so one thing that sometimes gets overlooked is that that's going to sort of pad the coffers of all these teams. They're going to get a lot more prospect capital after this draft than they had before, right? Which, like, if, for example, if you're AJ Priller, you think, okay, well, I'm going to get a couple more draft picks to kind of seed my farm with. And so maybe I'll loosen the reins a little bit on Jackson Merrill. Maybe I'll, you know, because now I have a couple more in the pipeline. So they might get a little bit more generous having just drafted a few more prospects. Just keep that in mind. Right. And obviously they they can't trade any of these draft guys right away that rule's been patched around they have to wait till the right. off season for that but you're you're suggesting that hey you know maybe we're on the fence about Dylan Lesko but we just got three pitchers we're really excited about we can we can feel a little bit more willing to move him now yeah it's like it's like being house rich like oh the house price went up let's go out to dinner like even though that's not real yet yet you can't like cash that in but it makes you feel a little bit richer you know so Right. I think that's a good call. Um, I think it's also worth noting, since we haven't yet, that the whole draft getting moved to July thing, um, that complicates the trade market a little bit, and teams are hyper-focused on the draft right now, and that's part of why you don't see as much activity now until we get through this week. So this is this is kind of the last roadblock, you know, yeah, this and, right. and the other All-Star festivities. But once we get through this All-Star break, I think you're really going to start to see the chatter pick up we're going to start to see some small moves medium moves here and there and then it'll just be a a roller coaster to the trade deadline so i think i think we're all looking forward to that yeah absolutely so i know i am and so again as i said at the top of the hour um we'll be updating our values much more frequently now and so look for those to be you know right on top of things as we go all four full team ahead into this deadline can't wait All right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.